Reading right from the top of the outline there in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, it says, You know that in a race all the runners uh, uh, run, but only one gets the prize. So run to win. All those who compete in the games use self-control so that they can win the crown. That crown is an earthly thing that lasts only a short time, but our crown will never be destroyed. So I do not run without a goal. I fight like a boxer who is hitting something, not just the air. I treat my body hard and make it my slave so that I myself will not be disqualified after I have preached to others. Well, the title of this morning's message is Repositioning Your Life to Reach Your Destiny. And uh, the fact that we are in the last Sunday of the year, I would like to speak to you about uh, repositioning our lives for the coming year. And when I say repositioning, I mean repositioning spiritually, repositioning even perhaps uh, emotionally, repositioning possibly physically if we're on the r- in the wrong place, repositioning, and it's, and it's positioning ourselves in, in such a way that we can reach the destiny of God. And, uh, and of course, uh, part of that means that we increase in our relationship with God, that we improve our potential as far as our gifts and our talents are concerned, and also that we maximize the opportunities for us to live blessed lives. And certainly that's what Jesus paid for on the cross. He wanted our lives to be blessed, and it's already paid for. It's now up to us to position ourselves for greater blessing, position ourselves for greater effectiveness in the kingdom of God, uh, and position ourselves for uh, God to use us uh, for His glory in this coming year. Scripture that we've just read has been, uh, of course, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Paul the Apostle is doing the writing, and he likens uh, the Christian life as unto a race. And uh, he says that we to run this race with the aim of winning the ultimate prize, uh, and not running to lose or running to be disqualified afterwards. He says, win, uh, he says run to win. Uh, and, you know, the Christians who run according to God's game plan uh, will in the end uh, be crowned, and the Bible speaks of a, gr- a crown of glory, and of course that gra- crown, of course, uh, refers to eternal life in the presence of God in a place called heaven. Uh, and you and I, when we get born again, we're at the starting line. Um, and of course, being born again, is, we haven't arrived, we've only just started. And we do arrive when Jesus Christ comes back, back to this earth, or when we leave our earthly life and we move to heaven, whichever one comes first. And you know, here is a, a, a word picture, if you like, that Paul the Apostle uh, was familiar with uh, and that we are familiar with today. You know, we talk about the Olympic Games, we talk about the Commonwealth Games, we talk about athletes, world championships, and this and that and the other. And you know, athletes are incredibly focused people. Uh, their goal is to win the prize. And you know, there are people training right now for the Olympic Games in, what, two, three, uh, four years' time, and they've set their sights on the gold medal, uh, or at least on one of the medals, gold, silver, or bronze, and they want to get there. And of course, what drives them is that goal, that they've set their sights on this thing. They're prepared to put up with hardship. They're prepared to deny themselves, uh, to socialize less so that they can do more training. And they're very, very focused people. Um, They uh, develop strong self-control, and through a, a hard exercising regime, they prepare themselves to be stronger, faster, sharper and more enduring and you know as Christians we need to take a similar approach to life and that's why Paul the Apostle is using that example that word picture of running in a race uh, and you know the Olympic Games uh, were started like way way back uh, Olympic Games had their origins in Greece uh, in, 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 uh, in, in uh, around uh, 6 700 BC so Paul was familiar with those games that they had, and there was running. There weren't as many disciplines as we have today, uh, but they had running, they had boxing and, and, and wrestling and various other things. And uh, of course, Paul uses some of that language and is communicating the, the truths of God's Word to us. And so we need to take a similar approach to life as what athletes do rather than drift on year after year after year. God has not created us and designed us to be drifters. He's designed us to be producers. He's designed us to maximize the gifts and the talents and the, the potential that God has placed within us. 
And so the end of one year is upon us and a new year is about to start. And this is a good opportunity to reevaluate our lives. A good opportunity to refocus on the goal ahead. If somebody we've come unstuck and started drifting, uh, it's good to realign for God's purpose for our lives. And it's good to reallocate our energy, gifts, and talents for the glory of God. And I want to look at those four areas that I've just listed in more detail. And I hope that uh, you will get inspired today to, to, to hit the ground running in 2009. And that's not to say that you've got to already start working. If you've got holidays, take holidays and take time off and, and relax and do everything that you need to do uh, to be refreshed. And, you know, the Bible speaks as much about uh, resting as what it does about working. And so we just need to live balanced lives. And uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about about that. So to reevaluate our lives, it says here in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 says, Examine and test and evaluate your own selves to see whether you're holding to your faith and showing the proper fruits of it. Test and prove yourselves, not Christ. Uh, you do not, I start again, uh, do you not yourselves realize and know through an ever increasing experience? that Jesus Christ is in you unless your counterfeits disapproved on trial and rejected. But I hope that you will recognize and know that we are not disapproved on trial and rejected. So see the language there. It says, uh, examine and test and evaluate your own selves. You know, sometimes people make a mistake on, on testing and evaluating and, and, and as it were, proving God. And, and, and God is not uh, to be tested or, or, or proved. Uh, God is perfect. There's no fault in God. God cannot fail. Uh, but, you know, we ourselves, we can fail. And so we need to test ourselves and check up on ourselves to see if we're in the faith, uh, to see if we are, uh, uh, as it were, moving towards God or away from God, to see if we're fulfilling the calling that God has placed upon our lives. You know, athletes do that. Athletes do regular checkups on themselves. Uh, they check their progress to see if they're on target. And as I said earlier on, you know, those that are gearing up for the Olympic Games possibly the Commonwealth Games, they know if they're on target. They've mapped their, their road out in terms of this year I'm going to do this and, and next year I'm going to shave off two more seconds off of my finishing time and, and the following year I'm going to shave off another second and then I've got a chance to win one of the medals and what I'm really going for is the gold medal. But uh, if I don't get the gold, at least I get the silver uh, and I come back with something and if I don't get the silver, I'd hate to say it, but I'll win bronze, but still it's a medal. And you know for us as Christians we need to take a similar approach to life. Uh, uh, it's good practice to regularly check up on ourselves and on our spiritual progress. You know, actually, uh, can I just say that we need to monitor our lives daily, where our character is concerned, like every day. And I'm finding that for me every moment of every day, just checking all the time to make sure that my attitude is right. You know, uh, uh, in terms of our... Uh, of our uh, <clears throat> of our attitudes, um, character, you know, there's attitude, motives how I view myself and how I view other people. These are all absolutely, absolutely crucial things. You know, they say that attitude determines altitude. Our attitude will determine how high we go and how far we go. And for me, I need to check up on myself all the time. Am I judging other people? Uh, do, I, do I consider myself uh, more important than them? Or, or on the other extreme, do I consider myself less important than what God has determined for me? You know, how we view ourselves and other people is, is absolutely crucial. It's just very, very, very important. And so here in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul says, for the, by the grace, by the unmerited favor of God given to me, I warn everyone among you not to estimate and think of himself more highly than he ought to, not to have an exaggerated opinion of his own importance, but to rate his ability with sober judgment, each according to the degree of faith apportioned to him by God. And so this is very practical information here. It's very practical advice. In fact, it is a command. It's not just a sort of a suggestion. God says, don't, don't rate yourself more highly than what you ought to, uh, which tells me that I've got to rate myself somewhere. Every one of ourselves, we rate ourselves somewhere. And you know, we are God's creation. Uh, and we're not just worms. And we're not just, uh, we're not just, you know, sometimes people go on and on that, oh, we're just, you know, worms. And in the presence of God, we are nothing and everything. Well, Jesus didn't die for worms. All right, just understand 
understand that Jesus did not die for worms. He died for, for human beings like you and me. And God has a good opinion of ourselves, and we need to have a good opinion of our own selves too. But of course, uh, you know, we can be above or below where God wants us to be. We can be having an, an exaggerated opinion of ourselves so we can consider ourselves too lowly. And each one of those extremes w will work against us. So pro proper judgment of ourselves and of other people is very important. Good questions to ask ourselves. Uh, how am I going? Um, am I moving towards God or away from Him? And how many of you know that every one of us are on our journey? Sometimes people think, well, only Christian people are on the journey. Everybody's on a journey. All right? And we talk about people who are, who are, who are exploring uh, God and try to explore Christianity. And we call, them, we call people that are seeking God. And that's a good thing to do. All right? We're all on a journey. We're all going somewhere. Uh, and, of course, the question is, are we moving towards God or are we moving away from God? How am I, uh, what am I doing that's working well in my life? And that's a good question to ask. What have I done this year that's worked well, that yielded good results and good fruit? Is there a practice uh, in my life uh, that uh, I need to do more of next year or, or certainly keep going? Or is there something else that's not working too well in my life? Is there anything that's zapping strength from me? Uh, is there anything going on that shouldn't be going on? Am I, am I judging other people? Uh, am I harboring unforgiveness towards somebody? These are huge issues, my friend. Uh, unforgiveness is just, uh, is just uh, the cancer of, uh, of, of society where, where it, just, uh, you know, it just kills people off, um, kills Christians off spiritually, and eventually unforgiveness will physically kill you if you hold on to it. And you know, things like uh, uh, various ailments, uh, uh, if we were to examine it, it could be traced back to people just harboring unforgiveness towards others. So it's good to let people go and forget things and move on and, uh, and so forth. I was just talking to a good friend of mine yesterday uh, that I, I talked to him maybe once a year, sometimes uh, not for a couple of years because he moves and he doesn't tell me where he goes and I don't have a telephone number and then when he gets into a bit of, bit of situation, he rings me again and he asks for prayer and, you know, and, and it's all good. And, uh, and you know, I was talking to him again and he had a very, very, very bad experience with one of his previous employers that just uh, ripped him off to the tune of uh, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And, uh, and I says, uh, did you ever get your money back? No. He said, uh, and, well, well, how are you feeling about it? He says, I don't, I don't really want to talk about it. He says, I've, I've let him go. He says, I've moved on. He says, I just, I've moved on and I feel much better now. And you know, sometimes there's just a decision that we have to make to just move on, uh, to just release people, let them go. Uh, you know, Jesus tells an example where there's one guy that owed, owed like, like huge, huge sums of money to this one person. And, uh, and uh, he was summoned and, and this man said, look, he says, you owe me money. And the man pleaded with him. He says, look, he says, I can't pay you. He says, I haven't got the money. And, uh, and normally in, in those days, people would be sold into slavery and the proceeds of that would go towards repaying at least some of the debt. And because the man pleaded so hard uh, with, the, with this uh, person that he owed money to, the man said, okay, look, he says, just forget about it. He says, I release you from your debt. And the same man that was released from this huge debt went out and somebody owed him just a, just a few coins and, and he, he approached the man and said, look, he says, pay me what you owe me. And the, and the other man said, too, look, he says, I haven't got this money. And so the guy grabbed him by the throat and I'm kind of paraphrasing paraphrasing here it is a parable that Jesus taught and some of you will recognize it and he shook him and he says pay me and he says I can't so he had him sold into slavery so that the debt could be repaid and then the first man found out that the other guy had treated this man so badly and he says look he says you have he says I've forgiven you this huge huge debt and he says, you were unwilling to forgive this other man just a few coins that he owed you. He says, what's up? And you know, that's a picture of, uh, uh, of uh, that God has forgiven us this huge debt in heaven that we owe because of, of, the, of the sin of mankind and our own sins and our own failings and shortcomings, a debt that we could never, never repay. And God's forgiven us. So if somebody has harmed us and wronged us, and, 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 and that debt that people owe us in that respect is so minute and so little compared to what uh, we owe to God. And God's forgiven us and we need to forgive other people. So it's very important. Very, very important. So many people's lives are just so messed up because of unforgiveness. So friend, if anybody's harmed you, hurt you, spoken against you, or whatever they've done before you move into the new year, just let them go. In fact, in our prayer manual, we've got a good, good prayer in there. It's a confession of God's word and a prayer that we, we forgive those that have hurt us. And we, we, what's the wording? We, we, we let them go and we release them. What do we do? 
Let it go, let it drop, and move on. <laughs> All right, praise God. Number two, uh, <clears throat> refocus on the goals ahead. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, of course, the word is refocus. No doubt we have focused at one time or other, but sometimes we can sort of... Uh, drift away a little bit. We can sometimes lose sight of uh, important things and we get taken up with urgent things and, uh, um, and we get taken up with wasting time or whatever is happening. So it's good to refocus on the goals ahead. Do you know that uh, the difference between equally gifted people who succeed in life and those who don't is focus. Some people are focused and others are not. So it's not that some people are smarter than others. It's not that some people are more gifted than others. Those who succeed are incredibly focused people, focused on their, on their uh, uh, gift and on their talent and to develop that. You know, we're given gifts and talents in seed form, if you like, uh, abilities that are lying dormant until we start to hone these gifts. And, you know, runners, uh, they just know that when they first start running out, they're not all that good, but they keep on running it and they hone their gift and uh, that ability and the... Uh, and so forth, and so uh, focus is very, very important. And you know, there's distractions and temptations all around us, and they're everywhere. All right, uh, uh, they're, they're just you know, there's stuff going on all around us. And there are many things in life that we could do, but there's only enough time to do a few things. How many of you have found that uh, that like, oh man, when you're right, you just want to do everything under the sun, and it's great to do things, and I'm always inspired, but if young people have a goal and they try something, they have a lot of interest. You know, uh, how many you know that ha having interest uh, uh, means you stay alive when, when you don't have an interest anymore? You're ready to die. You're ready to move to heaven. Uh, and, and, but when you got an interest and you got something that excites you and something that you want to do and you got a goal and you want to go for it, I think that's a good thing, but uh, you know, sooner or later, everybody discovers that you can't do everything in life. I mean, you can pack a lot in. You can pack a lot in, and it's good to pack a lot in. It's good to live a full life, but at the end of the day, you know, it's a little bit like a plate. Uh, talking about Christmas dinner, the plate is only so big, and you pack a lot of food on, but at a certain point, when you pack more on, it just drops off. And, uh, you know, if, in, like at home, if you've got a bigger plate, you can get a bigger plate, but we can't get a, you know, we can grow in our lives, and we can increase our capacity, but at the end of the day, if we pack more and more on, uh, what we do is we begin to, we begin to get into a situation where we are ineffective in everything that we do because we've simply packed too much on, and so we've got to just let go of certain things and, uh, and, and focus on the important issues. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2 says, We are surrounded by a great cloud of people whose lives tell us what faith means. So let us run the race that is before us and never give up. He says we should remove from our lives anything that will get in the way and the sin that so easily holds us back. Let us look only to Jesus, the one who began our faith and who makes it perfect. He suffered death on the cross, but he accepted the shame as if it were nothing because of the joy that was set before him. And now he's sitting at the right hand side of God's throne. And so there's good information here, friends, in terms of... Uh, in terms of uh, uh, how to order our lives. And, uh, and uh, you know, the Bible tells us that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. And the shame and all of that that was involved in being used and abused from the time that they captured him in the Garden of Gethsemane to the time that they crucified him on the, on the, on the cross. And, uh, and, and man, no human being would want to go through that. And he didn't want to go through it. And he wasn't looking forward to it, but he says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And somebody said, what? that joy. That joy was seeing you in eternity with him. That joy was sons and daughters of the Most High God. People getting born again as a result of what Jesus has done on the cross. That was the joy that was set before Jesus. And praise God, he endured and he went right through it. He was incredibly focused. Um, Bible tells us here that we should only look to Jesus. And at the end of the day, friend, uh, uh, there are certain activities and things that we can do in our lives that will remove us from God, cause us to drift away from God. And so we need to refocus and say, where is God in my life? 
Uh, have I got time for God? It's, uh, it, you know, life offers so many opportunities and activities. Some bring us closer to God and others cause us to drift away from God. Can I just quickly be very practical here? There are certain things that we could do on a Sunday in terms of our day off and weekend. We could shoot off, shoot off over here and fly off over there and get over there and down by the lake, down by the river or up somewhere else. And, you know, occasionally it's good to get away. But, but if, if, if uh, a particular activity cuts into our Sunday uh, uh, which is, by the way, the day of the Lord, uh, week after week after week, it'll cause us to move away from God because it's important to be in the house of God. And I'm certainly not uh, casting any condemnation on people who are, who are working on a Sunday, by, but not by choice, but that's just the way it's working out for them. And you know, it's one of these things these days. Uh, personally, uh, uh, I'm, I'm totally against a lot of that Sunday Trading and a lot of that goings on on Sunday. You know, they, they even want to start selling things on Christmas Day and on, on Easter. On Easter, it's like, you know, that we got, maybe we can already shop all year round, uh, practically 24 hours a day, and now they want more. It's just, uh, and I've said this a couple of months ago, you know, they lied to us in New Zealand. They said, oh, we need to be like other countries. You know, when tourists come and that they can shop and do this and do that and do the other. Listen, you can go into Europe in various places and, and, and you will find that midday, you, you can't go shopping because shops are shut down um, and and uh, you know just because uh, places are just shut down and so they lied to us they said let's be like places overseas and now we've got uh, we got shops open we got this open that open and of course all of these things need to be staffed and you know all of these staff people they're all part of a family and uh, them having to work on some of these days uh, takes them away from their families you know how you know family time is important so uh, there's a lot of goings on there that uh, praise God, when I become prime minister, I'm going to change a lot of, a lot of these things. Hallelujah. <laughs> praise God. Well, just to let you know, I've got no ambitions to be prime minister, so just relax, all right? Don't start praying and say, oh, Lord, make him prime minister. Not a good idea. <laughs> Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, As the time drew near to him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Bible says he set, he set his face like a flint. He was just very, very determined. He knew exactly what he was all about. He knew God's destiny and plan for his life. And even, even, even though he didn't like it, he went for it anyway. And of course, now we know he's seated at the right hand of God. Um, and he got there and, into this exalted position. And now he's been given a name that is above every name. And, and, and he's the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings and all of these other wonderful things because he fulfilled God's destiny for his life. You know, he was immensely focused. He could have done anything. He could have just, uh, instead of going up to Jerusalem, he could have gone down to the Dead Sea on holidays. You know, sit in the water like you see him on the, in, 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 in the news, in the movies. You know, they sit in the Dead Sea and, uh, and just sit there because that Dead Sea is so full of salt that, uh, uh, that uh, anyway... Forget about it. Let's just move on to other things. <laughs> you know, the highest and most noble goal in life is that, any, that anyone can pursue is to please God. That is the highest goal that anybody can pursue is to please God. God, are you pleased with my life? Uh, does my attitude please you? Do, am, I, am, am, am I living right? Uh, you know, the, the psalmist said, he says, let the words of my mouth and, and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, God. And so to please God and to order our lives in such a way that God is looking upon us and say, I'm pleased with this one and I'm pleased with that one. And you know, we're not talking perfection here at all. You know, the Bible says that, uh, that uh, uh, the, 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 the patriarchs, the, the faith heroes of old, they please God. The Bible says that Enoch pleased God. Uh, it says that Noah pleased God. And it speaks of others. It speaks of Abraham and various others. David, the uh, uh, Bible says that uh, Abraham was called the friend of God. And, uh, and you know, these people please God. And, and, and it is possible to please God in the 21st century. You know, we talk about, oh, it's just so hard. You know, there's all of this stuff going on and, and all of these things that I could be doing. Oh, there was plenty, plenty of things they could have done back then already. You know, they could have just, uh, paganism's been around uh, ever since. You know, like uh, uh, heathenism, just, you know, to do your own thing has been around, uh, has been around ever since. So, you know, things might be a bit so more sophisticated today uh, <laughs> with, with, you know, technology and, and all of that other stuff. But, uh, you know, temptation is always the same. If it's not one thing, it's another. And if it's not uh, 21st century temptation, it's, uh, it's uh, 5th century BC temptation. Temptation is just always temptation, distraction, different things that we could be doing rather than serve God. So, uh, you know, the highest and most noble goal in life 
is to please God. And, and, and also, I've written down here that God is pleased by balance in our lives. How many of you know that, that God is pleased by balance? God wants us to live balanced lives. Uh, and when things are out of kilter, God is not pleased with that. So, uh, you know, we need to put God first in everything and balance our lives by giving proper allocation of time, energy, and efforts to work, rest, relationships, and recreation. There's four areas, four main areas uh, that are very important. And, uh, and can I just say here that uh, sometimes we look at people, and, and some people that are very seemingly very successful, uh, and you know, celebrities and, uh, and people who, who have done just marvelous and great things. Can I suggest that many of them live completely imbalanced lives? They've excelled in one area and, uh, and, and completely neglected another area. Um, and so, uh, balance is what's very, very important. Uh, divide up our time, uh, time allocation and our energy and use our gifts and our talents and so forth uh, uh, between work, rest, relationships, and recreation. Um, and notice that relationships are before uh, uh, recreation. And you know, sports, hobbies, it's all good, it's all good, it's all good but uh, relationships are very important, you know. Some people excel in, in some areas, like hugely excel, and they can't keep relationships, so it's like balancing. You know, they talk about the wheel of life, and uh, you know, there's four or five spokes, and, uh, and all of these spokes need to be about the same length, otherwise, you know, there's bumps all the time, and the wheel turns around, there's bumps. How many of you remember wheels of old that had spokes? Uh, <laughs> and uh, anyway, praise God for this. And I was just up in Hawke's Bay uh, a couple of weeks ago, and we stopped by at one roadside store there and, and went into the, into the back of the house, into a shed that was a little fitted out like to a shop, and had all this fancy stuff there. But it's an old farm, and had the old-time, you know, farm wagon wheels there, and I thought, wow, you know, these things are lying around here like rubbish, you know, they will be worth quite a bit, you know, people want to... Uh, anyway, praise God. Let's move on to other things. <laughs> Don't know why I'm talking to you about wheels. Hallelujah. Balance is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Everybody doing right today? Having a good time? Praise God. I trust that this is helpful to you. And, uh, and that's what God's laid on my heart to share with you today, to encourage you in, 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 in pursuing a, a God-pleasing life. And many of you are, and let's keep going, and let's just go hard next year. Praise God. Number three, align with God's purposes for your life. And some of these points and some of these uh, headlines there, they're sort of uh, overlapping a little bit, I know, but it's just always good to look at things again. Realign with God's purposes for our lives. Uh, do you know, we need to ask ourselves, are there any questions or any areas in my life that are out of balance? Is there an overemphasis in one area which inevitably leads to an underemphasis in another area? And that's what, it ha what happens. We put too much time into work, we don't have enough time to rest. Or some people rest more than what they work, and they, they overemphasize on resting, and they don't work enough. And, uh, and uh, so balance. Uh, am I overemphasizing, uh, overemphasizing in a hobby, and are my, relationships, uh, um, uh, are my relationships suffering as a result of it? Do you know how you blokes know that when you got married, if you're married, that a few things had to change? Uh, you know, you just can't be out with the mates all the time like you did before you got married because you now got a maid in the house and uh, spent more time with the maid rather than the mates. Oh, this get, went down like a lead balloon. Some of you are really excited here this morning. Praise God, you know, and uh, at the same time, you know, lady, let the man go and let him play his game and, and whack the ball around on the golf field or do his dive or go skiing or whatever he does. But, you know, if a bloke's out all the time and, uh, and <laughs> never at home, he's either working or he's on the sports field and then he comes home and the missus is unhappy, come on, wake up. God's giving you a maid, a companion for life. Spend time with your lovely wife and have a good time together. Hallelujah. How do you spend your time? How do you spend your money? <laughs> this is all serious stuff, and I'm kind of smiling, you know, to lighten the thing a little bit. This is serious stuff. You know, how do you spend your money? Why don't you make an effort to, uh, to, to get rid of addictions in your life if you ha have any? Don't carry them into the new year. Just get rid of that jolly thing that's draining money from you. I cannot believe how expensive smoking got over the years. I'm glad I don't smoke anymore. Man, I used to smoke like a chimney. It cost me a fortune now if, that, if I still smoked. And uh, people say, oh, I can't afford to tithe, but they smoke like chimneys. Come on. 
Stop robbing God and uh, deny yourself and get rid of that Charlie addiction. There's no need for smoking, no need for alcohol. There's certainly no need for illegal drugs and stuff like that. Get rid of all of that in your life. And you can do it. Hallelujah. But God's help by the blessing of God, you can do it. Praise God. Others have done it before you. You can do it as well. It is possible to kick habits. Hallelujah. It is possible to get rid of that stuff out of your life. So what's important to you? And where does God feature in your list of priorities? Good questions to ask, aren't they? You know, in 2 Timothy 5, uh, chapter 2, verse 5, it says, And also if anyone competes in the athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And, you know, again, Paul is talking about the athletics uh, games, Olympic games, or Bithynthian games, or whatever they had back then. I mean, that's the picture that he's talking to us about. You know, every game has got a rule. You know, there's soccer rules, rugby rules, and, uh, and there is rules for this and that and the other. And, uh, and it says every athlete that competes in the games here, uh, he says, uh, uh, he says uh, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. And how do you know, uh, if you're a believer today, and how do you know that the rules of the old kingdom don't work in the new kingdom anymore? You know, the rules of the old kingdom is to, 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 you know, to stand your ground and to give people a piece of your mind. And, uh, and you know, if they hurt you or something, you just uh, write them off. You know, you just, and don't forgive them. You know, be very hard on them and everything. That's the old rules. But in the new rules, Jesus says, he says, pray for those who use you. He says, uh, love your enemies. Uh, forgive them if they hurt you and, and so forth. You know, there's new rules in the new kingdom. And... Uh, and we, uh, in the kingdom of God, by being born again, having surrendered our life to Jesus Christ, and, and you know, suddenly we, 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 uh, uh, you know, we, we resurrect the old rules again. We will not be crowned uh, because we need to live according to kingdom rules. You know, there are rules, and somebody said that by ignoring the rules, uh, it'll result in disqualification. Um, I remember years ago when I was uh, just in my early teens and I was a part of the fire brigade, the young fire brigade, and, uh, you know, we were out practicing and everything, and there was a competition on, and, you know, we were sort of pitched against another team. We had all of our gears back lined up, and we had to, uh, on, on, the, on, on the work goal, we had to get our gear together and hook it all up and, you know, be right at the front, and I was sort of like right down on the front uh, with another guy, and the two of us had to hold uh, the, the fire hose, and two of us had to hold it when that thing gets going. I tell you, there's a lot of pressure behind it and it can just whip you around and so anyway there was two benches in front of us I don't even know why I'm telling you this story but there's two benches in front of us uh, with a tin on, on each empty tin and here was the, the, the tin for the competing uh, uh, team that we were on the field with and here was ours and somehow we arrived in the front and I just looked and I just shot down the wrong team and you know we were disqualified and oh man that was a disaster I don't even want to think about it anymore everybody hated me and uh, <laughs> Particularly our team leader, he wasn't particularly forgiving. And uh, anyway, praise God. Hallelujah. <laughs> I hope he's forgiven me. <laughs> this is about 40, uh, 35, 40 years ago. I hope he's forgiven me. Anyway, I hold nothing against him. <laughs> praise God. And so um, Matthew chapter 22, verse 35, it says, One Pharisee, who was an expert on the law of Moses, asked Jesus this question to test him. Teacher, what command in the law is the most important? And Jesus answered and said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and most important command. And the second is like uh, the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourselves. And all the law and the writings of the prophets depend on these two commands. You know, some people say, oh, man, it's so confusing. It's just so many rules, so many rules and so many regulations. Actually, it's really quite simple. It's love God and love people. We've learned that recently. We had a guest speaker by the name of Fergus McIntyre, and he taught us. He says it's quite simple. Love God and love people. And, you know, a lot of these other, if we take care of these two main things, the other things will just click into place. You know, sometimes we have to tweak things a little bit here or there and, and you know, reposition ourselves. But if we take care of the two main things... The other things will just click, click into place. Love God and love people. And that brings me to the last point for this morning's message here. Is number four, to reallocate your energy, gifts, and talents for the glory of God. And to reallocate, how many of you know that energy is actually a good thing? You know, sometimes people talk about gifts. But you know, the most gifted person in life can't do a thing unless they got energy. So energy... 
Do we find we get up in the morning and we have energy for the day and we can go so far and so long and after a while we just run out of energy and that's, that's just normal and then we're supposed to sleep and rest and then we get up again and then we got more energy. Uh, and so, and, and all the gifts, all the talents in the whole wide world are no good to anybody if people don't have energy. So energy is a God-given thing that we, we are strong and we can do stuff, you know, we can work physically and mentally and we got good concentration span and we, we, we can focus on the tasks that, uh, that we feel we need to accomplish and so forth so we need to reallocate you know there's activities in our lives that sap energy there's activities in our lives where we use our gift and our talents and after it's all said and done it really doesn't amount to anything it doesn't produce a thing you know Proverbs uh, even Ecclesiastes Ecclesiastes more so uh, where the Bible talks about the vanities of life. You know, and, and the writer there, Solomon, says, oh, he says, I've seen this and I've seen that, and somebody building and doing this and doing that and doing the other. But he says, it's all vanity at the end of the day. It's all vanity. So, friend, the life without God is complete vanity. No matter how much they produce, because you know they talk about the greats and, and this and that, and statues have been built for, for, for people, and you know, great Napoleon, or great this and great that. Listen, if they didn't get born again, when this earth passes away, their memory will be gone, and they themselves will be gone. And, and all of their greatness doesn't amount to anything. So without God, there is no greatness that amounts to anything. And so, in terms of reallocating, we need to make our lives count. You know, each of us has been given one life on this earth. Have you know that reincarnation is a lie? Oh, it's a wicked lie. It just means that if you don't get it right this time around, you get it right the next time around. It is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says it is appointed unto man to die once and then judgment. So we don't die and get reborn and then have another go and then die and get reborn. That is a lie, my friend. So one life is what we've got. And we need to make our one life count that uh, will affect eternity. So when we get over there, we've got something to show for. The Bible speaks of good works, and it also speaks of dead works. And sadly, many people are just tied up in just dead works, non-productive uh, things that don't do anything um, and don't produce anything. And of course, that's not to say that if you sit down and you rest back and uh, you want to just, uh, you know, uh, <clears throat> read or, or listen to music or something, even just kicking back and, and resting up is a good thing. But when it's time to produce, let's produce. And uh, let's produce something of uh, eternal value. <clears throat> so God's given us energy, special abilities, and gifts, and He expects us all to use it wisely and to not waste any of it. Let me just read from Matthew chapter 29, and we're going to wind down shortly, but uh, in Matthew chapter 29, verse 6, it says, When Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster flask of very costly fragrant oil, and she put it out on his head as he sat at the table. But when his disciples saw it, they were indignant, saying, Why this waste? For this fragment oil might have been sold for so much and given to the poor. But when Jesus was aware of it, he said to them, Why do you trouble the woman? For she has done a good work for me. For you have the poor with you always, but me you, not, you, me you do not always have. For in pouring this fragment oil on my body, she did it for my burial. Assuredly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be told as a memorial to her. Now, there's a story in this. Uh, there's, a, there's a message, there's a lesson in this passage here. It's very interesting that uh, you've got very differing opinions here in regards to the woman's actions. These disciples who, were, who really proved to be quite worldly at various times, you know, sometimes they were in the spirit and they judged rightly, and other times they were just in the flesh. Um, and you know, like Peter said once, uh, Oh, Jesus, shall I call fire down from heaven? And uh, you know, like he's thinking of Elijah, you know, Old Testament, old rules. Jesus said, No, no, no. He says, You don't know what spirit you're of. He says, We're not here to call fire on people in judgment. That, that'll be done later. He says, That'll be done in judgment. Right now it's grace. And right now we, we proclaim the gospel so that people can come to Jesus and, and be born again and have their sins forgiven and, and be adopted into the family of God. And so, very differing opinions here. Worldly disciples deemed her actions to be frivolous waste. Yet Jesus considered it to be a precious, proper, and rightful use of her costly oil. 
And Frank, can I suggest to you that our lives are like this alabaster uh, flask of very costly fragment oil. I guess in today's terminology, it will be perfume, uh, a bottle of perfume, like the most expensive stuff that you can imagine, and probably more so. Uh, <clears throat> and, uh, you know, as we pour out our lives for the glory of God, and, it, and, and, uh, and uh, by allocating time and energy for the building of God's kingdom, worldly people may think that this is a waste, but Jesus considers our efforts to be precious, proper, and a rightful use of our lives. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but some of you have got family members that considers your time at church and doing stuff to be a waste. But Jesus considers it a precious thing that you make an effort to be involved in the building of the kingdom of God. And certainly there will always be clashes in terms of kingdom values and all kingdom values when the two meet. You know, when the saved and the unsaved meet. You know, we, uh, as saved people, we've got differing values and differing, differing uh, 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 goals and, and, and so forth. But friend, our lives are like that alabaster flocks of costly oil. We've only got one of it. There's not another. If we get, put the wrong one in the wrong direction, we just get another. There is not another life, my friend. There's only one life. And as we pour out our lives for the glory of God. And that's not to say that everybody has to leave secular employment and rush into the ministry and, and, and whatever that means. You know, like, like everybody serves God in one capacity or another. Uh, each one of us serve God with the gift and with the talent and with the calling that God has uh, allotted to us and, and so forth. But somewhere, somehow, there's got to be um, a difference uh, for us as believers, if truly we are born again, that the way we spend our time, it tells a story. The way that we spend our money tells a story. It's all right to say, Jesus, I love you, and lift up our hand, and we look at our money, and it's just spent the same way as the heathen spent their money. Feeding addictions and uh, selfish things, and then no time for getting involved in, 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 in the offering, no time to get involved in the kingdom of God. The way that we spend our money... We say, Jesus, I love you, but we're everywhere, but not in the house of God. Everywhere, and when the call goes out, look, we need somebody to do something over here, or somebody needs to take care of that, and people are nowhere to be found. Uh, and, you know, we, we can't lie to God. We might be able to fool ourselves, but God's not fooled. So our lives are like that uh, costly, uh, fragrant oil that is poured out. And Jesus appreciates everything we do. Of course, we are commanded to serve God. But, uh, you know, Jesus is not one to crack the whip. Uh, he's not one to, to, you know, to beat us up if we're not doing what we're supposed to be doing. He's gracious and he always calls and, uh, and, and, and so forth. And uh, at some stage, sooner or later, everybody needs to get with the program and needs to get on board if they want to be crowned uh, at the other end and, and, and receive their crown and, uh, and have the, uh, the, the good works. You know, the Bible says that uh, when people die and leave this earth, they, if they're born again, they arrive in heaven. And the Bible says their works do follow them. You know, we, we get rewards in heaven according to what we've done in this life. Uh, eternal life is paid for by Jesus Christ. Uh, and it is given to us. But different things that we enjoy in heaven in terms of various positions of honor and various, various things, it has to do with how we conduct ourselves in this life and what we do and what we don't do. Um, and in fact, that's a whole teaching all of, it, all of its own. We can go into the book of Revelation and bring out scriptures there and also in the Gospels. Uh, tells us that there will be rewards in heaven. Uh, Bible speaks of a judgment seat of Christ where believers will appear. And not so much to be judged, but more to be rewarded for the things that they've done in this life. When others have played around and, and shot off over here and did that and the other, somebody else denied themselves and knuckled down and served God in, in a particular capacity. And so let me just say, and sometimes young people um, think, oh, all of my mates are doing this and all of my mates are doing that and they're out and, you know, and I'm missing out. You're not missing out. You know, you might be missing out now. And, you know, the Bible says that we need to deny ourselves to pick up our cross and to follow Jesus. But, you know, the tables will turn when we get into eternity. And then there's rewards stacked up for those of us that have decided to lay down our lives and to serve God and to allocate our energy, our gifts, and our talents in such a way that we are involved in the building of God's kingdom. Second Timothy chapter 4. Uh, it's just a wonderful passage of Scripture here. where Paul the Apostle says, he says, For I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. 
I have finished a race. I have kept the faith. Wow, what a, what a thing to be able to say to get to the end of one's life. And of course, we know that history tells us that Paul was actually martyred. He didn't die of old age, but certainly he would have been on, got on a bit in terms of his natural age. But he says, I'm ready to go, he says. My life has been put out as a drink offering. You know, Paul fought God and fought the, the church and, and fought the purposes of God in the early part of his life. But when God got a hold of him, good and proper, he just dedicated his life uh, to, for, to serve God and to build the kingdom of God. And he gets to the end of his life and he says, ah, my life's been put out as a drink offering. Time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. What's the good fight? The fight is the fight that you stay in the ring and you keep fighting. Praise God. And you know, like sometimes we might lose a round or two, but the idea is to get up again. So friend, if you've been knocked down, it's a little bit like that boxing fight. You know, there's 15 rounds uh, in boxing and uh, people get knocked down, but so long as they get up again and they're there towards the last, uh, you know, the trumpet call as we call it in the kingdom of God, my friend, you win the race. And so Paul says, he says, I fought the good fight. He says, uh, he says I, have, I have kept the faith. Wow. He had every opportunity to deny God. He had quite a rough time at various times. He was, uh, he was stoned like with stones. They threw stones at him and left him for dead. He was shipwrecked. He was out there serving God. Next minute he's in prison. You know, average uh, Christian of the day would say, oh, God has left me. But God hadn't left him at all. It was just, you know, people that break ground and pioneers like Paul was, they just got a bit of a harder time than, than the settlers that come in late and when, you know, all the enemies have been dealt with and so forth. So Paul was a pioneer and he had some rough issues issues uh, uh, to deal with and but he says look he says I've kept the faith I've finished the race finally there's laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous judge will give to me on that day and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing the Bible speaks here of that day that day uh, the day is written with a capital D referring to a specific day you know, when we get to heaven and when, and you know, the Bible speaks of a, of a marriage supper of the Lamb. And we talked about that last week, I think, or the week before, marriage supper of the Lamb. Where there will be a ceremony in heaven where, where Christian people in like a wedding ceremony will be, will be united with Jesus Christ to be with Him throughout eternity as the bride of Christ. And you know, then there is that, that judgment seat of Christ, uh, that reward seat of Christ where rewards are given out. And Paul says, on that day... He says, uh, I will be given a, a crown. Why will he be given a crown? Because he, he put out his life, uh, which was a very costly uh, thing. Every life is costly. How do you know that uh, as Christians we are pro-lifers in every respect? We are pro-life in the sense of uh, the abortion issue. We are pro-life in the sense of, uh, you know, there's some religions, you know, they talk about suicide bombers today. You can soon work out what's a good religion and what's a religion from hell. It's not hard to work out. You know, when people are sent out to kill themselves and to take as many people uh, with them in terms of kill them, and there's got to be something wrong with that religion, surely. Um, and, you know, they talk about mos moderate Muslims. Uh, uh, I wonder where they are, because one would think that if they're moderate, they should be able to speak out against that extremism that we see around the world. It's interesting, isn't it? So anyway, as Christians, we are pro-life. Life is precious. Life is costly. Jesus Christ died for lives. And... Uh, Paul said here, he says, on that day, he says, uh, uh, I will be given the crown of righteousness because I've kept the faith, I've run the race, and I've stayed in. He said, I got knocked down a couple of times, but I got up again. And where are you at today? Did you get knocked down, knocked around a little bit this year? Just get, your, get yourself up, dust yourself down. Praise God. Forgive people that you need to forgive. Let them go. Praise God. And if things didn't go too well this year, Make a decision that just uh, determined to do better this year. And uh, somewhere, somehow, you know, the Bible says that we walk by faith and not by sight. And, you know, in the kingdom of God, we know that the Christian life is not a bed of roses. There's some issues. There's stuff that goes down. And sometimes we sort of question, why did that happen? Uh, and so forth. And, uh, and, you know, but hallelujah, God helps us to work things out. And God's able to restore. And God's able to recover. You know, when, when Abraham... Uh, 
um, uh, and and uh, Abraham went up after the enemies of Lot that uh, that uh, had stolen all of uh, uh, you know, all the stuff there that Lot and his wife had and everything from the city. And Abraham went after them and he recovered all. And you know when David with his men was in the cave there and and he was down in 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 the, in the land of, Philist of the Philistines and he hid himself from that mad king called Saul. And uh, David was out and one day he went out to raid another village and when they came back all of their stuff was gone all of their wives and all of their little ones everything was gone which is a, a tough blow average Christian would just sort of flop over and say I give up but uh, David went into the house of God the Bible says he saw God and he says God he says uh, shall I pursue will I recover all and God says pursue you will recover all so he got his men together and the men were ready to stone him by now it's interesting when people get discouraged they start criticizing their leaders it's just an interesting thing it's a pattern there uh, when somebody criticizes leaders, they somehow, you know, get discouraged or, 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 or something. And anyway, God says, go after them. And so David's getting his men together. He says, guys, let's pick ourselves up. Let's go after them. And they went after them. And you know, the Bible says that they recovered all, all of their wives, all of their little ones, all of their stuff. You know, we know stuff's important too. You know, sometimes people say, all I need is Jesus. No, no, you need some stuff. You need to be able to put some food on the table to, uh, today when you get home. And if you're fasting, then, you know, tomorrow when you're eating, you know, food, you need a good uh, bed to sleep in. And, you know, God's okay with stuff. So long as stuff doesn't have us, God is okay with stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm praise God, I'm expecting to have a more prosperous life next year. That's not necessarily having more stuff per se, but having more more resources at my disposal to be able to do more uh, for God and to be able to, you know, to provide for the family, do everything. God's all good with stuff, so uh, let's not us get nervous with stuff. But wives are important, husbands are important, little ones are important, families are very important. And so if something has gone wrong, and just trust God. God is the God of restoration. He's able to restore. And God's able to visit you and, uh, and put your life back together if uh, things have sort of fallen apart. God is a big God, and let's just put our trust in Him for this coming year. So let me also, as I wind down, just say that it's good practice to write down a game plan for the coming year. Write some things down. Whatever commitments that you're choosing to make, write it down. Something about committing things to paper. It lets God know that you're serious. And not only will you read it, but God will read it. And God will get excited over your plans. And say, I want to serve God next year. And, and I haven't tithed this year, but, but I want to tithe next year. God wants to help you with that. God gets excited about our plans that we're writing down. In fact, Vanessa and I have consistently over the years written things down. And not necessarily at the end of one year. Or, you know, you don't have to wait for the end of one year to come before you write things down. But this is certainly a good time, you know, to to reevaluate and to, to work out what you will do differently next year and to refocus and all of those things that we've talked about today. So establish an exercise regime and prepare yourself to be spiritually stronger, faster, sharper, and more enduring in the coming year. And I trust, my friend, that, uh, that uh, you know that you're part of the race. I trust, my friend, that you got onto the starting line. You might say, well, how do I get on the starting line? The Bible says, as we repent of our sins, which is basically to reconsider our whole lifestyle and the way that we operate, things we do, and say, God, I'm sorry for the things that I've done wrong. I've recognized that I'm a sinner. And I, I give my life to Jesus Christ today, and I, I invite him to come into my heart and make me born again. And I choose to live for Jesus. It's like sitting on a horse and, you know, with the reins that you're holding, you tell the horse to go this way, tell the horse to go that way. Becoming a Christian means, there you are, Jesus, you take the reins and you take me for a ride and, and, and you tell me where to go and, uh, and I'll just follow along and, and I'll just do what you want me to do. That's what the Christian life is. And if you haven't started that race yet and you want to do so this morning, I'd encourage you to not leave this place. And you know, sometimes uh, uh, people hear the gospel and think, well, this is good, you know. But until such time that there is action, it means nothing. And a gospel is a, is, a, is a precious gospel and it's exciting, but unless people respond to it, it means nothing to that particular in individual. The Bible says we need to be doers of the word and not hearers only. And you know, the, the word of God, it's not to tickle our ears and it's not to just, uh, you know, to just brush us up gently, but it's for action. And I wonder if there's anybody here this morning saying, I'm, I'm ready for action. I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus Christ today and start the new year as a son and as a daughter of the Most High God. To have your sins forgiven, what a blessing is that? 
that uh, some of us can remember when, when we got born again and we surrendered our life to Jesus, the sense of peace and the sense of relief and the sense of having a burden lifted off of us that, that people sometimes don't even know they're carrying it, but you sure know afterwards what a difference it is to be forgiven and, 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 and all the, it takes all the stresses out of life. People stress about next year and about the economy and stress about this and stress about that and stress about the other. My friend, let me say that God has proven over and over and over again that He's able to look after His people. God fed His children in the wilderness, several million people of them, when He brought them out of Egypt. When there was famine at various times, God just knew how to feed His people. And you know, the widow uh, that, uh, that he, he gave oil to in and, 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 and that story in the Old Testament, God's proven over and over and over that He's able to feed His people. I don't know what's going to happen with the economy. Uh, in this coming year, but I'm trusting God that uh, that is for me and my house, we will serve the Lord, and we're trusting God that God will see us through. There's no famine that can come that uh, diminishes God's ability. You know, I was going to say before that we're operating on a slightly reduced uh, uh, um, uh, situation in terms of our church life. We haven't got people in, in all the slots, you know, in terms of the sound and, and video and lighting and everything, but God's power is not diminished because it's the end of the year. You know, God's power is not diminished at all. I wonder if there's anybody here this morning who say, I want to be saved. Is I want to commit my life to Jesus Christ. In fact, let's just bow our heads for a moment as we uh, begin to wind down and trust God that uh, people are ready. You know, I thought about this the other day, and even to repent is by the grace of God. It is a gift to be able to repent. It is a gift that God's, God gives to people, and God says, there you are. Here's a gift. I help you to repent. It's a decision that you have to make. But God will help you to do it. Uh, and repentance, and the, God grants us the gift of repentance, the Bible says. And you hear this morning, and can I say that without repentance, there's no born-again experience. The gospel that we preach and that we read in the Bible is not a social gospel where people just you know, get better and better and better as they go. There's got to be a definite finishing line with the old life and a definite starting point in the kingdom of God, and it starts with repentance. And to thoroughly get converted by surrendering our life to Jesus Christ. Saying, here it is, Lord. I'm ready to live by your word. I'm ready to live by the rules. Uh, I'll probably fail and probably do things wrong, but you will forgive me. And God does. The Bible says we confess our sins and he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Somebody might be here this morning. You feel, in fact, there's somebody here this morning. And I'm, I have a sense in my heart that you feel you fail God. Whatever happened, my friend, God will forgive you, but you must forgive yourself. You need to let it go. People beat themselves up year after year. Let it go, my friend. God's already dealt with it. It's already under the blood. Just say, Lord, forgive me, and I thank you that I'm forgiven now. And that's all it takes, and then move on and, 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 and you know, fight that thing that wants to come up again and again and put you down. And if there's anybody else here this morning that says, yes, I'm, I'm ready to commit my life to Jesus Christ. And if you haven't done so this morning, but you're ready, I uh, haven't done so in, in the past, I should say, you're ready to do, do so this morning, um, with your eyes closed and, 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 and your head bowed, just raise up your hand briefly and put it back down again. Just something that we do to uh, allow people to respond to the gospel. What a tragedy it will be that having heard uh, the preaching of the word and having had the gospel explained to some extent and suddenly just close and go home. But friend, let's just allow people to respond. This is response time now. That people can say, yeah, I'm, I'm a doer of the word. Is there anybody here this morning that says, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do that. Whatever it takes. Now, I'm not here to make you stand up or to confess your sins. That's entirely your business. I just want to pray for you. And if there's anybody that wants to include me in their prayer, then please raise up your hand. And, and, and uh, somehow, uh, we're going to help you today to uh, get your life right with God. Anybody at all. Just looking around, scanning across the auditorium. What a wonderful time to be born again towards the end of 2008 before we get into the new year. Anybody at all? Praise God. Is there anybody here this morning that needs to recommit their life? You know that you've drifted from God. And you know that things are not the same in the way that they have been when you first surrendered your life to Jesus Christ. Anybody at all? Just I'm, I'm going to recommit my life. It's just letting God know that, uh, that you're here and that he can count on you in this coming year. That you will not be self-serving, but you'll be God-serving. Praise God. Hallelujah. I know about you, but I need to recommit my life quite a bit uh, 
sometimes a couple of times a day. <laughs> just, uh, you know, and some, something, attitudes rise up and say, oh, sorry, Lord. And just, Lord, I'm, I'm here to serve you. I'm not here to serve myself. And I'm here to live for you. I'm not here to live for myself. Praise God. Father, I pray for every person in the house here today. Pray for every family, every man, every woman, every child. I pray for every husband, for every wife. Lord, pray for all, every auntie, every uncle. Lord, all the cousins, everybody, Lord, every family represented here today. Blessing of God on their lives, my God. Thank you, Father, for visitation upon every home, for peace and, and healing and prosperity and restoration. We thank you, Lord God, that you're the God of restoration. We extend our faith towards you this morning, that this coming year will be different. It'll be better. Though in the world, Lord, it looks like it'll be a bigger challenge, but for us it'll be more exciting as we serve God and as we see miracles happening in our lives. We thank you for that, Father. We thank you, Lord God, for miracles of provision, even for people that need it right now. Lord, with Christmas time and time of holidays and more bills than at other times. Miracles of provision. And we pray, God, for those that uh, don't enjoy holiday, uh, holiday time at Christmas. It's their family. is not everything that it could be or should be. And others have no family. We thank you, Lord God, that there is a family of God. We thank you, Lord God, that we have brothers and sisters in the Lord that love us and care for us and that we can be a part of the family of God. We pray for those, Lord. Let there be a sense of peace and a sense of belonging in their hearts. Thank you, Father. We pray for all the children, Lord God. We pray, Father, for safety for everybody that's traveling. Everybody, Lord, that's away, even those that have stayed at home, that, Lord, no evil befalls us and, and no plague comes near our dwelling, as Psalm 91 says. And, Lord, that we walk in the secret place of the Most High God at all times. Lord, we take your word seriously. We stand on your word. We expect to be kept by the power of God. We expect to, to stay healthy. And if there is sickness, we, we expect healing to manifest in our lives. We have an expectation, Lord, that divine prosperity is flooding our lives in a fresh way. And Lord, we expect, Lord God, to be refreshed in the presence of the Lord. We thank you, Father, that, Lord, that there is a fresh anointing for the year 2009, for these last days to be anointed by the power of God. We can meet the challenges that the enemy uh, might choose to throw against us. We can do it, praise God. We can do it, people. We thank you for that, Father. Now, thank you, Lord God, for my brothers and sisters here, everybody in the house. I thank you for a breakthrough in areas, Lord, where people have stood and not seen the results and not seen the, the breakthrough yet. We thank you, Father, for a breakthrough, Lord, that it's, it's coming speedily in the mighty name of Jesus. I pray for others, Lord, who've lost hope. To help them to regather, to, to regather hope and, Lord, to, to recover, uh, Lord, that vision and that dream that it is possible by the power of God. Thank you, Father. Blessings on every life in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone that agreed with that said, Amen. Amen. Praise God. It's a good day, my friend. Uh, let's enjoy some fellowship out in the cafe there. Don't rush away. There's enough here for everybody. And let's, let's pray about the food. God's going to multiply. Praise God.